You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Home of the Flames and your home of the Jays. That's us, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is The Big Show. I'm Matt Rose. He's Patty Dumas. Jays coming off a sweep of the Kansas City Royals. Six series to go in the regular season. The biggest of which, arguably, starts today against the Texas Rangers, a four-gamer. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with our next guest from Sportsnet, Shai David. He joins us now. Good morning, Shai. How was the weekend for you? Uh, it was a pretty interesting one, and obviously a successful one for the Blue Jays, but in a lot of ways they kind of did what they needed to do, right? It, you know, two or three against the Kansas City Royals would have felt a lot worse and been a lot different in the standings and then the completed sweep because every game is just that valuable with the margins being so thin in the wild card race right now. So it really sets the Blue Jays up pretty well for this four gamer against the Texas Rangers. And it's not going to be definitive in their season, but it has a chance to really alter the course of the remaining two and a half weeks afterwards. Now, one of the things that's kind of coming out of this weekend, like you see the Texas Rangers on the schedule. I don't know if you're going to be able to salvage a game with three straight wild pitches and be able to beat the Texas Rangers. Like it's going to be a little bit of a shift going from the last four series the Jays have played to this opponent being Texas. Yeah, I mean, they've definitely had some, uh, I don't want to say help, but they've definitely been able to capitalize on some mistakes. And that sequence that you're talking about in the sixth inning yesterday is one of the most unusual that I've ever seen that I know a lot of people uh, were saying that they haven't seen that before either afterwards. And, you know, Cole Raggins is legit. You know, if, hmm. if he's able to stay healthy over the long term, uh, the Texas Rangers are definitely going to regret that deal. But he got wild for a little stretch, walking Guerrero and David Schneider back-to-back, and then the three straight wild pitches that followed, uh, the Jays pounced and, and didn't look back. So they're gonna, they, they've really gotten some help in that way across the 10-5 the and five stretch that they're coming out of. But at the same time, you know, they've been there to capitalize on it, and the Texas Rangers haven't been flawless either. So um, it's, it's an interesting series between the teams that way because they're two clubs who both expect a little bit better of themselves. Both uh, are coming out of stretches where they haven't been at their best. And now can they turn it around? Can they turn it around against one another? It's it's one of the many intriguing themes that uh, that go into the next four days. This is a, a stretch that the Jays have just played of 15 games that was well discussed because it was all against teams that are well below 500 or, or struggling this season. And the Jays end up 10 and five. Uh, there's a lot of discourse on that particular record over the last 15 yesterday on social media um, because 12 and three would have been a lot nicer than 10 and five. But where do you kind of come down on that? Is is that good enough over the last 15 games? Look, here's here's kind of the way that I'm kind of looking at it. Like, we can all talk in theory about what it should have been. Uh, let's look in reality in terms of how it played out. So they during that stretch, they'd fallen three and a half games out of the wild card race. They lost Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman, and Danny Jansen, uh, and Eric Swanson as well, but you know three key players from their regular everyday lineup. And 
they still managed to make up enough ground to take hold of the second wild card spot, one game up on the Mariners, a game and a half up on the Rangers by going 10 and 5. I mean, I, I don't know that you could have scripted a better outcome for that stretch than those games. And they absolutely left, I think you can point to two, maybe three games on the table where you're like, okay, that one should have been a W for them. I'll definitely look back on that with a little bit of frustration, but they could have been better off than where they were. But it's tough to be perfect in baseball, and it's tough to be perfect in baseball when at times you're running three, four guys who at the beginning of the season were in AAA Buffalo, not really part of your plans in the, in the everyday lineup. So I, I think when you take the holistic view of what's transpired, I don't know that you can be disappointed in that. Uh, but you can always look at it and say, yeah, there, there are a couple more games that they Blue should have picked up through that stretch. Uh, and, you know, we'll see where it ends up at the end of the season. They could perhaps end up lamenting that, but they've got control of their fate in their own hands and a lead in the wild card race over two teams. I, I'm not sure. Again, I'm not, I'm not sure how much more you could have possibly could have asked from that stretch. Uh, Shy, uh, the way the Jays have been winning games of late uh, is maybe uh, not the way the, they used to win. Uh, it's different from the way they used to win games. Uh, in previous years, it'd be a lot of home runs, and maybe they wouldn't have a ton of guys on base. But it would be the ball would be leaving the park a lot more. Like with this Jays squad, at least I've seen over the last few weeks, is maybe the, the, the small ball, the way approach of the way they're doing the offense. Maybe that's in part of of the injury situation and having the call ups. But do you feel like this way of strategy with the offense is is more recipe for success as we get later on in the season well one of the thing one of the goals for this team during the offseason was to just diversify the offense a little bit right because they mm-hmm. were largely the three-run homer team yeah they were out to to mash you and to, to to defeat and you know that they did they don't crush teams this year the way they crushed them over the past couple of years mm-hmm. that's a, that's been a point of frequent discussion Ultimately, though, there is a bit more on-base percentage. They can do different things. You know, you think about that eighth inning, and even before you get to the safety squeeze by Santiago Espinal, it's a hit-and-run that with Merrifield uh, executes with Dalton Varsha running for Alejandro Kirk. It puts runners on first and third and really sets all that in motion there uh, because it's a ground ball right through the vacated spot where the second baseman would have been uh, if they're not running that play. So, that's that's something in their toolkit that isn't that wasn't there in the same way last year, and that's helpful at this time of the year. At the same time, you know, power plays, and we've seen it in the World Series the past couple of years. But when you hit homers, you win, and so you know the Blue Jays need to get that back into their toolkit. They have some guys who can do it. Uh, the power numbers are down, notably for for George Springer. And for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, you know, Bo Bichette's having a nice year, but he's clearly not 100% right now and uh, has really worked hard to, to put himself back in position. You know, there are going to be times where they're going to miss that power, but they do have the other elements in their lineup. And really a big point, a big issue for this Blue Jays team all year long has been not necessarily creating opportunities, but fulfilling them. You know, we've had lots of discussions over the year about hitting with runners in scoring position. You know, the home run obviously takes care of that. They haven't had it, and so they need to be better at executing with runners in scoring position. 
capitalizing on the opportunities they create if they're not going to have the power threat in quite the same way. We have the injuries. Obviously, Bo Bichette's uh, been banged up. Uh, he's he's not maybe not 100%. Obviously, Matt Chapman's not yet back. And Danny Jansen, who's out at least for the remainder of the regular season. Uh, obviously, his his impact is lost through like his clutch ability with the bat. And obviously, him buying the plate is obviously a, a big loss as well. But with what Alejandro Kirk and then obviously there's Taylor, Ty, Tyler Heineman, uh, is there a chance we might see Dalton Varsho? I know there's been a lot of talk over the last couple weeks uh, on the Toronto station and on Jay's Talk Plus and everything. Is Dalton Varsho a possibility late in games to to come in and catch if they call for it? I know he's talking about he's not. it's not going to be pretty, but do you think Varsho could be called upon if, uh, if Kirk and Heineman can't go? I think it would be a very specific set of circumstances for that to happen. I I mean, the Blue Jays have had a number of opportunities to, to go that route had they wanted to uh, at different points this season. And they've really gone out of their way almost to avoid it. Mm -hmm. It's a tough spot to put Dalton Varshaw in, right? Like, I mean, he, he, he hasn't caught since last year. He didn't catch it. Like he caught on the sidelines, caught bullpens and spring trains. They hasn't caught in the game. And all of a sudden, to put him into mm-hmm. uh, a, a game of consequence behind the plate and having to guide pitchers through, and the Blue Jays run a lot of stuff through their catchers, like a lot of teams do. Uh, there's just they're just very heavy demands. It, it's it's not something that you can fairly throw him into and just say, "Here, go ahead and do it." And so, it's if you you know if you've got to win a game and you you made multiple moves and you just absolutely have to run for your catcher in a spot or whatever the, the case may be, then okay, that's different. But to sort of go out of your way on purpose or you know to, yeah. to sort of do it when you have other options, I don't see that being something on the Blue Jays' agenda. Uh, with, with with obviously the call ups that that have come up here over the last few weeks that have, that have made impacts, obviously led by Davis uh, Davis Schneider, and then there's obviously Ernie Clement, uh, Spencer Horowitz. But is there a legit chance that that Dave Schneider is is going to be breaking camp with this team next year? For sure. I mean, let's look at there's still an entire off season to play out, and there, there are a lot of moves to come. But the Blue Jays are going to have significant turnover mm-hmm. uh, just with uh, free agents this offseason. You're talking about uh, Whit Merrifield, Kevin Kiermeyer, Brandon Belt, uh, Matt Chapman. Uh, you know, it's a pretty significant group of players. And how are the Blue Jays going to backfill that? It's all, I'm not sure that necessarily all of it is going to come through free agency mm-hmm. and trade. So there's going to be some opportunity. Now, is it, you know, a full-time role. I don't know that I necessarily expect that or that he's going to have a job handed to him, but I feel like the Blue Jays won't necessarily mind having some opportunity for playing time for some of their young players. And it's not just Davis Schneider, but Addison Barger and Aralvis Martinez, uh, perhaps even Spencer Horowitz as well. Some interesting guys that they've got who are getting some big league experience right now. So, is it on the table? I would say it's definitely on the table. But, I, again, I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to just hand him a job 
uh, as impressive as this stretch has been. Now, obviously, like you'll talk about, yeah, the competition is down, and and we'll see how what what these guys are like against upper uh, upper echelon teams. But how how much of a credit does that do to the Blue Jays organization? Which maybe this organization obviously has seen a lot of prospects graduate, and it's and it's a it's a lower level or uh, prospect ranking. But how big is that for just the organization? Just to see a guy that not a lot of people had a, a lot of hype on. Like this is a very low round pick, and to see him come up and make an impact when maybe a lot of guys in the in the top and the big club didn't maybe see it yeah well i mean these kind of stories i mean the 28th round pick i mean there isn't even a 28th round in the draft, yep. in the draft anymore <laughs> so these are always organizational victories when they happen and they're always a credit to the player right but mm-hmm. the, the one thing that can happen is especially when you're a 20th round pick is that you have to fight for everything you get you have to win people over at every level because the expectations are so much lower and there's always going to be more doubt attached to your performance. And so that's a, that's a credit to the Blue Jays for, you know, looking past those biases and just rewarding a player who's earning more and more opportunity. So that, that piece of it is absolutely, um, you know, both, both the credit to the player and the organization. But the other thing is, if you're going to be a championship caliber club or a playoff contending club, you have to have this level of depth, right? Because there's going to be attrition throughout the season. You think about so many teams who haven't had that same level of depth who have fallen off, you know, the Yankees uh, and Red Sox immediately come to mind. And that if you can't uh, angels as well, right? Like you're going to have injuries. Mm -hmm. You're going to lose key players. It's just a reality of the season. And so you better have some guys who can step in and fill the void. And, you know, the Blue Jays would not have gone 10 and 5 through that stretch if not for what David Schneider and Ernie Clement and to a lesser degree Spencer Horowitz and Tyler Heineman were able to provide for this team. You know, all of them have had key moments and key contributions. Uh, and the reality is, if you're going to be a good team, you're going to make the playoffs, you have to have that piece. Shy, the Jays have one good weekend. They get into the second wild card spot, and all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, which opponent would be better for them in the first round? Like, do you think that there's a little bit of a balance there between, yeah, you want to get as far as you want, but you also would probably rather play the Twins than the Rays? Yes, but you just want to get in, mm-hmm. right? Like, you you feel a lot better being in uh, wild card two than in wild card three, right? You, oh, yeah. you, you'd all you're always take the extra cushioning, and you got to get in. And remember last year we were saying, Oh yeah, the, uh, the Mariners are a way better matchup for the Blue Jays than the Rays, <laughs> Right. And, and how did that turn out? So yeah, sometimes it's careful what you wish for, but I think just that the way that they've played the, the two teams this year. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Minnesota twins look like a better matchup for the Jays. And that's a series that you would think is uh, much preferable, but at this point, the Blue Jays can't. Uh, the, like no team is going to say, "Oh, let's manipulate the schedule. Let's make sure we get the the third spot over the second spot." You know, it's a, it's going to be a tight race to the finish. Uh, the you know, the, I don't. I know the Rangers have had a tough stretch, but that roster is too good for them to just roll over and die. Uh, you know, the Mariners are, are are a good club too, even though they had a tough weekend against the Rays in Tampa. So. You know, I don't. I don't think the Blue Jays can look at the standings and be taking anything for granted. But in theory, if uh, you know, you could just pick an opponent, 
you're absolutely taking the Twins over the over the Rays every time. I would think. Uh, what do you expect to be the kind of deployment plan for Bull Bichette here? Because he DH'd, he sat on the bench for one game, and he started it short for one game over the weekend. I'd expect him to be in the lineup all four days against Texas. Now, does he maybe get another DH day? Uh, that's certainly possible and and probably smart. I think given the that he's coming back from both quad and knee injuries, and they're probably the two are probably related. Uh, at the same time, this is this is the time to win, right? Like these games are of huge consequence and what they do, uh, you know, I think the, the base for the blue Jays is a split and you get out of this at the same spot that, that you went into it. Uh, but ideally you're finding a way to take three or four. So you secure yourself the tiebreaker as well uh, because that tiebreaker could loom large and the blue Jays already do not have it against the Seattle Mariners. So, Giving that giving that piece to themselves against the Rangers adds affords another element of insurance. Uh, you know, Bo Bichette understands that he understands his importance, and I mean, dude, the dude just he's here to drag this Blue Jays team into the postseason. And so, I you know, unless there's some physical reason not to, uh, even if he's not feeling the best, I'd expect him to be in the lineup all four games, uh, maybe with the DH day interspersed in there. This is going to be a fun four days here. It's going to be a fun three weeks as we race towards the end of the regular season. Appreciate the time today, man. Enjoy the week. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Have a great week as well. There you go. Shai Davidi, mm-hmm. Blue Jays, Sportsnet. Um, this is going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I mean... It's it, going to be a little bit of channel flipping today mm-hmm. between the Aaron Rodgers debut with the <laughs> guys in green and the Jays and the Rangers. But uh, this is a good two-screen experience right now, and this is the reason that we love this time of year. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a massive series. Like all the Jays series, the rest of the year are going to be massive. They're all against team. Maybe not the Red Sox and Yankees, as they're pretty much probably out of it. But they're still they're still the Red Sox and the Yankees. They're still they can oh, still and, get you. And it's the same thing like last year when the Jays were out. Mm-hmm. Like you can play spoiler. Oh yeah, and there's nothing better. Yeah, like if you're not going to the playoffs, why not drag someone else that you don't like down with you? Like that's the thing with the Jays schedule the way they finish. Like. After the Rangers, it's all AL East the rest of the way, and oh, we know the yeah. struggles of the AL East. Like, but it's been a while. Like, I don't, I don't think the Jays have played the Yankees since. Oh, well, it's May? been forever. Yeah, the like, Yankees were actually in a playoff position. They were like, like, a, to, like they, they, they were a relevant team June. at that point. Yeah, it's May. Yeah, May the four game series at Rogers Center between May fifteenth and eighteenth, and the Yankees took three or four. Yeah. That being said, yeah. if the Blue Jays can come through this stretch to end the season yeah. and get into the playoffs, they'll, they, like that they'll is, have, they, to an extent, they will have vanquished a certain demon that is beating teams within their own division. Maybe I'll look at it in the break and just break down the rem- final three weeks for the for the Mariners, Rangers, and Jays. But I, I'd have to argue that the Jays are, have probably the toughest finish out of any of those of, of the wild card teams, uh, just because of. Who they got here with Texas? They're de- they got Max Scherzer, mm. one of the best pitchers ever to play the game in Game Two in this series. Nathan Navaldi's been been great all year. It, it's you get to that bullpen, Texas. You get through the starts, and once you get into that bullpen, you might have a little bit more of a time. But you have to get the offense going early and often. You cannot take another zero zero game into the fifth, into yeah. the sixth against Texas because this team has the home run potential. They got the big bats. Marcus Simeon, he can do it, man. Uh, Corey Seager, not Corey Seager. Uh, They're also going to be without right. Garcia for yeah. this for this series. Yeah. After yeah. he yeah, got so put on the 10 yeah, yeah. So that's a big loss for the Rangers because he's one of their better hitters. 
mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, you just yeah, of course you, you got to get done. Um, yeah. How about this? You do that in the break, sure. and at eight thirty, before we recap our best bets, we will take a little bit of a closer look at the Jays, Rangers, Mariners schedules sure. to close out the season. Sounds good. Deal. Okay, because we got two guests, we still got to get to. We're talking hockey around the corner. David Pinota from the fourth period is going to join us. We're going to uh, spit some rumors. Then just after, just after, my goodness, just after eight o'clock, uh, Charles Davis is going to join us. Uh, CBS had the Browns and the Bengals game yesterday. Um, I will weep to Charles and ask him what's wrong with the <laughs> Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, good sight, Joe Burrow. My goodness. We'll take a break. David joins us next. Talking hockey, sports, and then sixty the fan. Welcome back, the big show. No Russick, Patty Duma. I'm Matty Rose. Welcome back to the show. Halfway halfway through. That easy. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline once again. David Pinota from the fourth period joins us. Now we're getting closer and closer to training camps. The Flames have their charity golf tournament coming up on Wednesday. I think the Habs are doing it today. I'm sure we'll see all sorts of golf and hockey players golfing over the course of this week. But that's the week that it is, David. It is charity golf week before we get to training camps. How excited are you? <laughs> yeah, it's the the official. Um, we're back, but not yet. Kind of back, but yeah. uh, get ready for it. Um, yeah, this is that's the week. So everybody's back in town in their respective towns, or at least getting there this week. Um, and then yeah, we'll have uh, physicals. And sorry, my dog's very excited as well. <laughs> and uh, it's it's just everybody is just geared up, ready to go. Well, physicals will have. Training camp uh, getting underway this time, or in a little over a week. So it's yeah, this is the exciting time as as we get going again. What do you like to kind of get around and, and check in on around this time of year? Kind of being more of a national insider. Well, just just trying to get a sense of what some teams like. There, there's some teams that obviously have a couple RFA's. Like I look at the Anaheim Ducks with Trevor Zegers and Jamie Drysdale that that need new deals. Uh, how, how are How's that progressing? Are we going to see any movement on that front this week or the early part of next week before camps begin, um, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week? Uh, so you, you want to check in to see how some teams are looking with respect to their own, you know, internal business that they're doing, others that may have holes or are hoping that some of their PTOs pan out coming into camp. And if they don't, what are some of the options that are available to them? Do they look internally? Uh, are they going to see if there are any other options elsewhere? How's the trade market going to work out? How, how's the waiver wire going to potentially play out over the, the few weeks leading into the regular season? So you kind of want to get a sense of what, where, where some holes are that some teams are looking to fill and, and how they may be able to do that and what some of their options are available to them. Now, this time uh, of year is also a little bit tricky because of the cap situation for a lot of teams. Um, they're, they're, you know, we anticipated a little bit more movement over the course of the offseason, probably around you know, free agency and draft, but... Um, because of that, that sticky little cap, uh, we're kind of in waiting mode. So you look to that, you look to the RFAs, the guys that aren't done, and guys that are potentially looking at extensions and see if you could maybe get something done over these next few weeks. You had mentioned it, and uh, it was a report from the fourth period over the weekend that uh, Trevor Zegers, or just last week, pardon me, that Trevor Zegers likely to sign a short-term deal with the Ducks. Yep. Why does this make sense for the player and for Anaheim? Well, the Ducks, you know, they, they like to go in – the direction of, of the bridge deals um, with a lot of their top tier RFAs um, when, when they, when they're within that window, uh, that just seems to be, you know, Patrick Beek's mentality. That seems to be what they they'd like to do moving forward. Um, 
So with, with Zegris, you'd like to, I mean, look, everybody would like to get their top young kids locked into longer term deals. And there was some belief that maybe this would follow in the direction of Cole Caulfield, for example, with the Canadians, he signed an eight year extension, same representation. They're good buddies, um, just a different environment. So it just seems like there's a little bit more of, of uh, an understanding or at least a willingness to go short-term on this one from the Ducks side of things. And from a player's perspective, you're looking at this going, all right, well, I had a couple 60-point seasons. I feel like I can get to another level and, and really cash in on a bigger contract after the fact. And being arguably the face of that franchise for now, um, it's, it's a pretty good bet that he's taken on himself and probably going to you know, excel at it. And, and if he does, then that's, that's good for him. And from, from the team perspective, if he does, well, that's great. That just means the player is going to continue to perform and continue to accelerate um, that trajectory and, and continue to get better and help that team as they go through their rebuilding process. Are there any other players that you're kind of keeping an eye on right now as far as this RFA status that remains unsigned? Like you mentioned, Zegris and Drysdale. Um, that has crept up really quick. Neither of those guys are signed and camp gets going pretty quick. But is there anybody else you're kind of keeping an eye on that we might see uh, as someone who doesn't have a contract and isn't with their team in camp? Um, I'm looking at, I mean, there's Shane Pinto, uh, I guess, would be the other one that I'm, you'd want to take a look at out in, in Ottawa and see where things are going. There There hasn't been, at least going into this week, this past weekend, there wasn't a lot of progress on that front. We obviously know that the Sens took care of some other business in, in getting Jake Sanderson locked into his eight-year extension. Um, he wasn't on an expiring deal, but they were still able to pull that off. But with Pinto, that's the other one that I'm kind of taking uh, a look at and tabs on. There aren't that many restricted free agents out there, but Anaheim obviously has two key guys, and, and the Sens would like to get Pinto locked in. But uh, there seemed to have been a bit of a stalemate, uh, as I mentioned, coming into this weekend or this past weekend. So we'll see if there's any progress um, as everybody does get back into town and, and see if they can move that forward, likely on a short-term deal as well. Uh, David, the Calgary Flames, uh, they obviously have a lot of question marks heading into this season. A uh, ton of players uh, on expiring deals. Elias Lindholm, uh, Noah Hannafin has already said that he doesn't want to sign a long-term extension with Calgary. He wants to go to the States. Uh, but Elias Lindholm seems to be the sticking point uh, right now. This is a player that uh, we're, we're rumored between eight and a half, nine, nine to nine and a half. Uh, where do you think this is going to shake down? Do you think they, that Calgary and Elias Lindholm can work out a deal before the season? Or is this going to be, hey, Elias is going to see how things go with the new regime? Well, I mean, he's he's made it clear that you know, if, if the right deal is there, he'll take it. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he wants to stay. Um, and and it, it's just a matter of what that number is going to be. Are you, are you looking at the eight-year extension? And, and that's, I, I, would, I believe, from what I've heard over the last couple of months, the likely scenario. Um, but can the Flames get to that $9 million range, or at least in that neighborhood? Um, and, and this is something that uh, seems to be, if you look at the market and market value, I mean, it seems to be the fair price mm -hmm. to get that caliber player locked in, in and around that $9 million range, maybe a little south of it, north of it, whatever it ends up being. Um, structure and all that will come into play as well. Bonuses, if any, will also come into play. But um, that, that seems to be the marker. And if the Calgary Flames are willing to get to that point, then we'll, get, we'll likely get to see something here happen in these next few weeks uh, between the two sides. The, the, there's an open dialogue, open line of communication, um, nobody said, forget about this. I want to put this on hold. Not yet anyway. So there, there is certainly optimism um, in, in terms of trying to get this done before the regular season. And again, the willingness that the player is, wants to stay. He's, he's willing to sign this, this extension and, and stick around. It just comes down to 
the, the, the financial numbers associated with this. If, and, and look, it's a negotiation, so there's going to be hardball on both sides, um, but it's going to go back and forth. And, you know, this is kind of an unofficial deadline, so to speak, with respect to the regular season and trying to get something locked in. We'll, we'll see if they can kind of get there. Um, but there's you know, clearly some work that needs to be done. So, uh, so we, we kind of figure out what well, we kind of got what what Lindholm's going to do. I guess Noah Hanavan's probably the next question. Like, obviously, Calgary mm-hmm. would like to have him because he is a vital member of this top four defense, and 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 he is a great young player. He's 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 been around since he was eighteen. He's played a lot of hockey, but obviously, he doesn't want to be around. Is this a is this a scenario where Calgary's just hey, we're just going to roll with him the rest of the year because we need him if we want to be in the playoffs. Right, and, and this is the other, you know, the mandate from the club, as it should be based on the talent on this team, is to remain competitive. And, you know, moving out a Noah Hannafin for futures doesn't really help that narrative right now, and at the same time, it's also difficult to do because of that cap that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if, if that wasn't so much of a sticking point, we'd likely have seen a couple more moves out of Calgary yeah. over the summer, probably around draft. But, you know, with respect to Hannafin, I believe Nikita Zadorov is another player that, is, is hesitant with respect to an extension. Mm-hmm. Tanev needs a new deal as well on that back end. So uh, there are certainly some decisions that need to be made here this, this coming season. But, um, you know, from Conroy's perspective and, and the rest of the group here, they, they want to they compete for a playoff spot. And, you know, it's a good sign, certainly, that, um, you know, Lindholm at least is, is and has made it known publicly that he would stay and, and is willing to stick around long term. Does that affect some of the other players on this team? As well, Backlund, of course, needing a new deal. So, this unless there are hockey deals that kind of pop up, and this is the other thing with, um, with you know, with, with training camp, do people get hurt? Are there teams that suddenly need an extra defenseman? Are, are there teams that have realized that oh, we actually have a couple of kids that are ready to make the jump now? Does this give us a little bit more flexibility um, in, in maneuvering our roster and filling other holes? So we'll, we'll see if anything does transpire over these you know these few weeks of camp. Um, but more likely than not, if that doesn't happen, you know, Calgary's content with sticking to it and, and you know, try to push for a playoff spot. And it's in the player's best interest as well to have a solid yeah. outing because if he is going to test the market, well, good season would certainly up his uh, sure. asking price come summertime. David, there was a, a new meeting set up by the NHL this year before training camps get underway with GMs, coaches, mm-hmm. and the NHL in general. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the purpose of these meetings and what actually might come out of them, be it maybe a little bit of conversation before training camp gets going? <laughs> yeah, I'm all for that. Um, hmm. And, you know, usually, you know, this, this happens around, you know, end of June, right before the draft time. And I think everybody really realized, and I mean, it took a lot of time here because this probably should have been, been changed out a while ago, but with teams so focused on the draft and free agency and everything like that to incorporate this around that same time frame might not have been the best utilization of that time. So to have it before camp gets going at the start of September um, worked out. You incorporated the coaches into it. You have all 64 GMs and coaches in one spot. Um, and you're right. I mean, typically when all the managers are together, that conversations start to flow a little bit more. Um, and, and maybe it gives you a little bit of a head start going into the season on some of the conversations that you may try to have later on. So, um, you know, certainly that's a good, that's a good sign. We, we, you know, obviously around this time, there's always rule change discussions and things of that nature. It doesn't look like there's much coming out of it in this one. Um, but I, I think this will continue. I, I think they liked it uh, in terms of having it at the start of September leading into the year, it gives them more time to focus on other elements come June. Um, and then, yeah, get a head start on, on things going into this season. So, uh, and, and also, you know, things to look at um, obviously with, 
um, you know, Quenville and, and Stan Bowman that were there and, and having discussions with everybody about their situation, what they had learned, how they can better themselves and how they can prevent that type of scenario in Chicago from occurring again. I mean, that's, that's, you know, another element that kind of came into this one and those types of things going into a season, especially at the start of the year, um, th- th- those are always good to keep fresh of mind because, you know, uh, summer, summertime, you want to get out of that, that summer brain funk and back into work mode. Um, I think this is a good idea that they, they implemented this at the beginning of September. Do you think any of the general managers were having maybe strong words with Pierre Dorian over signing a player who's played 77 games to an <laughs> eight-year extension in Jake Sanderson, who got the bag over the weekend? And if I'm Pierre, I'm going, okay, we'll give Kevin Adams a call because he pulled it off the summer before with one of their defenses. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, if, if, you believe, if you believe the player is, is going to be that good, um, you lock him in now if you can. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see much of an issue with the contract. It did catch a lot of people off guard, but you, know, you look at the player, the caliber of the player, and the potential that's there. Um, yeah, sure, it was you know, 77 games and you know, four goals and whatever amount of, of assists, but um, this is a player that a lot of people are high on and project to be you know, the, the, one of the top pairs, if not the top defenseman overall in Ottawa, which, means, which is pretty good praise because you've got Shabbat there, you've got Chikrin there, and a couple others, so um, there's there's a strong belief that once that deal gets into the four or five year range and up, that that uh, 8.05 million dollar cap hit would be um, uh, pretty solid. In at that point, uh, when you know we're anticipating the salary cap in like five years to be close to that hundred million dollar mark. What do you think it did for uh, the defenseman in Buffalo there, who's going to need a new deal as well, Rasmus Dahlin? And and I guess Owen Power would maybe be the one that even fits the bill mm-hmm. closer to Jake Sanderson. Right, and, and the same representation and, and everything there. So, I mean, or similar. So, um, with, with Darlene, um, it, it's funny. This has been going back and forth since just before, or in and around, actually, the Stanley Cup final, where there was the belief that that eight-year extension with Buffalo was going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. There were reports of, um, out of Buffalo, uh, 10.5 million AAV in that neighborhood. I reached out to their, um, to Darlene's agent anyway, uh, Craig Oster and, and he's saying, nope, there's um, not fully accurate just yet. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So, um, but it certainly looks like it's trending in that direction. And if you're looking at a guy like Darlene and, and 10 million plus on an AAV, um, I, I don't know what's maybe it's structure bonuses, what have you, but um, that, that seems to be trending in, in that direction. If you're Owen power, you're sitting back going, um, okay, well, uh, I understand where I'm at. I understand the Sanderson deal um, and, and what Darlene's going to command. So, you know, does that put him in that, that middle point between the 8 and 10.5? I mean, we'll see another first overall pick like Darlene. Maybe they wait to see how he performs this season before locking in. Um, but it, at least the benchmark and, and the, 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 the bottom line is there for that caliber player. You're looking at $8 million plus for him. Uh, I look to uh, the Winnipeg Jets as a very similar situation as the Calgary Flames as a team that, uh, you know, they've they've got key players that are pending UFAs, but they need them if they want to make the playoffs. They came out and said, 
Yeah. Uh, we're not trading Mark Shifley unless there's a backup plan in place. And obviously, Connor Hellebuck, you can't really replace a guy like Connor Hellebuck and, and moving a goalie at this time and just moving goalies in general is, is super tough. Where, where do you see Winnipeg going? Because it's a team that like has been for so long just hanging along, hanging along in this, in this fighting for a playoff spot, never really tearing it down because of being in a Canadian market and such a small Canadian market. I get it's tough for them. But what's your read on the Winnipeg Jets and, and what their plans are with, with Hellebuck and Shifley? I know uh, they obviously have a group that, that made the playoffs last year, and I think they have a group that can contend for a, a playoff spot this year, but it's going to be on the backs mm-hmm. of having Hellebuck and Shifley. Right. And, you know, with, with the, them and, and the rest of the core that's there, with Josh Morrissey on the back end, and, you know, yeah. you've got Nikolai Ehlers, and Cole Perfetti will likely take another step forward this season and so on. So um, they've got uh, some, some very strong assets here. Um, good goal scoring, good offense, uh, sound overall decor. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, ultimately it's going to come down to how, how, um, how strong of a performance their goal ending can, can keep them in it in, in a tough Western conference. So, um, you know, th- and, and this goes back to even when Dubois was traded and prior to that, any deals that they were going to make involving their top tier guys, they were going to have to be hockey type trades, yep. talent for talent in, in some capacity. Didn't necessarily need to be goalie for goalie. It could be goalie for guys up front. Shifley gets moved for a goalie or whatever, ha- you know, whatever it ends mm-hmm. up being. Um, but they want to stay competitive. And to your point, based on the market and, and, and along with the fact that they've got a, still a sound core in place, um, this is a team that, you know, if they're going to make those caliber moves, well, you've, you've got to expect to pay the price. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, and it sounds like anyway, there's a bit of a willingness from, from Hellebuck to explore, um, you know, returning on, on a longer term deal. So he's 30 years old. He's now in the final year, just like, um, you know, just, just like uh, uh, Shifley, excuse me. Um, but there seems to be at least the, that's the message coming out more so than that of Shifley that Hellebuck's looking to, you know, or at least willing to stick around long term. But when he threw out his number of that $9 million range, that, that Vasilevsky-esque money, it scared a few teams off, and that's why discussions really dipped down. Yeah. But from Winnipeg's perspective, if you're willing to keep this player, mm-hmm. at least you know the price tag, and it's going to come down to what Dayoff is willing to pay in order to keep his goaltender around. Uh, out in Vancouver, Elias Pettersson, I know a few weeks back he had the, he had to sit down uh, with Sportsnet talking about uh, he's not in a rush to sign a contract extension. And that's, that's probably why. Is it coming off a, a, another career year for Elias Pettersson, another guy that's seemingly getting better and better each season? But wh- where do you think the number comes in uh, with Vancouver? Is there a team that, you know, they have, uh, they have the Quinn Hughes extension, they have the J.T. Miller long-term contract as well, uh, but they probably would like to move some of those uh, bodies that have at least two, three years left. But what do you think a number on Elias Pettersson uh, could be with uh, with Vancouver. Well, I, and I think this is part of the reason why he's, you know, said that. Look, I, I, if it takes time, it takes time. We'll put talks on hold for the time being, and if they reconvene once the season gets going after a strong start, not just by him but from the team as well, then you know we'll we'll resume discussions and go from there. If this guy puts up another hundred plus point season, he had one or two last year. Um, well, you're, you're looking at you know probably the $12 million range, mm-hmm. $11, 12000000 million range for, for, for him. So, uh, and again, depending on what the outburst of, of, of offense is from him, you know, having back-to-back 100-point seasons, it's, it's hard to argue against that type of money. Now, they may be talking in and around, and I don't know this definitively, I'm just hypothetically yeah. speaking, if they're talking in and around that $10 million range right now, and he believes that he can 
replicate last season or, or surpass it. Um, and he has enough confidence in himself and, and his agents are telling him, you know, well, we should hold firm on this. Then I, I, I understand why he's willing to wait and, you know, put the money where his mouth is and put up or shut up and whatever other expression you want to use. Uh, but again, if he pulls that off, it's going to cost the Vancouver Canucks quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think he's just sitting back banking on himself. And if uh, they come to the table and, and, and sit down and say, all right, we, we believe you're at this point too. Let's stop uh, messing around here and get this done. You know, that's at least we know it's that 11 to $12 million mark. That's likely to be the case, especially if he puts up those numbers. Are the flames that much more of a wild card team than the Canucks? Like I'm, I'm having a hard time predicting what to expect from this team this year. It's a good division. They're an okay team. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, for uh, honestly, it, it it's going to come down. For, there's a lot of what ifs with mm-hmm. well, a bunch of teams around the league. But, you know, if you're looking <laughs> at Vancouver, well, can, for I guess even for the Flames, can, can goaltending be sound enough? Mm-hmm. Can, for, Demko in Vancouver or Markstrom or Wolf or whoever it ends up being in, in Calgary, um, whoever steps up, can somebody first of all step up and if goaltending is solid and sound and up to the caliber that at least, you know, Markstrom and and Demko have proven in the past, um, then, okay, well, how does the rest of the depth factor in here and how do those players step up and, and, and perform and, and does, um, you know, Huberto rebound um, after the season that he had with, you know, having to modify his game a little bit, this, that, and the other, if he's given more free reign, Tim and Lindholm click, if things work out well, can he get back to that status he had in, in Florida? And then again, and, you know, can JT Miller rebound in Vancouver, even though he had a solid season, but can he get back to, you know, 9,900 points? Can, you know, PD do the same thing? So there, there's a lot of question marks, I guess, surrounding these clubs. And whoever kind of checks off a lot of those boxes the most probably is the one that has that upper edge, um, you know, moving, moving forward. There are a lot of things, as I said, that have to happen, even like – uh, Brock Besser in Vancouver, can he rebound as well, even though he had a, a good points total season, but from a goal scoring perspective, can he step up again and get to that 25-30 goal marker and, and so on and so on. So there's there's going to be a lot of question marks um, surrounding not just these clubs, but a few others. And uh, it, it really comes down to, as I said, who, who answers the most of them correctly is likely to get into the postseason. David, really appreciate the time today, man. Uh, it's a great time to be a sports fan, to work around sports, and uh, it's going to oh, yeah. be a lot of fun once it gets here. Did you enjoy your first NFL Sunday? Uh, well, as a Cowboys fan, uh, I enjoyed <laughs> it. But um, I have to say, I'm just waiting for like week 17 or something where it's just going to, the bottom's going to fall out and it'll be over. So. I'm keeping my expectations where they should be for the Cowboys. Good. But I didn't mind yesterday's romp of the Giants. Yeah, that's a nice way to uh, put a little bow on the first week of the season for sure. Uh, <laughs> hey, enjoy it, man. We'll talk soon, eh? All right. Take care, boys. There you go. David Pignon, fourth period. Uh, fourth period. Man, they're doing a lot of good stuff lately. Man, yeah. Like, it's it's the hockey. Even if there hasn't been movement, there's still a lot, a lot to be talked about. A lot of questions like, like, Man, this this Calgary situation with this division and this whole team, like it, it's 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 fascinating with them going in with with what they have. Uh, the the UFA is expiring. The it's so interesting with Ryan with Ryan Huska. 
Jacob Markstrom bouncing back is going to be huge. I'm wondering what Dustin Wolf's going to do. This is just Calgary, and we got the prospect uh, tournament open up at the end of the week as well, where we get to see Matthew They're Coronado. They're going back, thank and, goodness. And, uh, exactly, just to see all the young. I, have they released the rosters yet? Not yet. Um, very good points there on the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah. You kind of forget that, like, uh, Jamie Drysdale and Trevor Zegers might not be in camp. And, like, you know, it is what it is, right? They're... Yeah, it's weird. The like, Ducks are not going to be good this year. No, I don't think there's a, a rush to, to get them there. You there. want you want them there, but again, there's obviously uh, like Shane Pinto, the other one who we talked yeah, about. Like, there's like he might be a trade candidate, possibly. Like, like I saw uh, over the weekend on social media. Um, well, they've got a lot of centers and they yeah. got a lot of young players. There Austin, you need Ottawa. a center. Um, Kale and Addison is the other one. Kind of of note there, a uh, defenseman with the Minnesota Wild, mm. former Lethbridge Hurricane, and uh, was drafted by the Penguins. Like, he was part of the Zucker trade. Zeers is a weird guy. Like, I mean, like, I don't know, like, the analytic look at it. Like, I don't know if he's the greatest defensive forward, obviously. He's a very, very offensive-minded guy. Like, like what, what, what's a number for him? He, like, we got we to gotta get out of the break here. I'm not too concerned on it. But this is a guy that coming off a, a career year on a really bad team, 65 points, he's getting better. Uh, each each season, so like, is he? He's probably around at eight million. Here's the thing, I think now that the Ducks have gone and gotten Leo Carlson, that you can move Zegers to the wing and have yeah. him be able to do a lot more kind of creatively offensively because you can go Mason McTavish and Leo Carlson down the middle. Those are two bona fide center. Devastating in a few years. Yeah, and then you put Zegers off on the left side where he doesn't have as much to focus on mm-hmm. defensively because I've always felt like Trevor Zegris is like a, like a discount bin Jack Hughes. Okay, okay. There's a lot of offensive skills there, but I also wasn't necessarily sure if he could kind of turn into the number one franchise piece player. He kind of feels not like Troy Terry, but almost the way that Troy Terry's career is gone. Where, yeah, Troy Terry's a really good player, but on a really good team, he's probably a second-line player. Yeah. I just don't know if Zegers has the complete game. I haven't seen it yet through three years in the NHL where I'm like, man, this guy's just going to be a problem for years and years. Offensively, yeah, the dude's dynamite. Extremely creative, super fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. But I just wonder as a complete player, and that's why yeah. I, th- I say uh, discount bin Jack Hughes type of guy. Also, they're both American, both came out of the program, all that type of stuff. There's a lot of uh, parallels you can draw there. Mm-hmm. That's story on the NHL. Um, Charles Davis is going to join we'll us football next. strong over the next hour. Look at that. What a little hour we're putting together here. Did the Jays, did the uh, hockey, got the football. You guys are going to do basketball at 930 as uh-huh. well with our boy Alex Adams. That's going to be all good. Uh, but up next, Charles Davis joins us. Had the call of the Browns and the Bengals. Womp womp. We'll ask them all about it. And the rest of week one. Next, Sports and 960 the Van.